The Filmmakers Podcast is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Subscribe for regular bonus content and special episodes. Hello and welcome. This is episode 266 of the Filmmakers Podcast. I am Giles Alderson. I'm Don Lenoir. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening and joining us. Today on the show, we have the fantastic VFX director. And I'm putting those two together because when you see The Wanting Mayor, you'll know why. It is Nicholas Ash Bateman. Oh, yeah, he has made this film, The Wanting Mayor. And you will not be left wanting. Amazing, Dom. Amazing. (laughs) 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 What he has done with this film, honestly, and if you see the behind the scenes, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes, we talk about it in the podcast as well. It's incredible. When you see it, you go, oh my God, and then he delivered this? Literally in a room, filming it with a green screen, and it looks like he filmed it in... I don't know, the desert somewhere and then on a planet in the middle of nowhere. So we talk about that and... More. just <laughs> And more. Tell us more, Don. <laughs> we talk about working on The Green Knight, the benefits of working on other people's projects and collaborating, how he learned Photoshop and became obsessed with After Effects, how he raised the money, how he found those investors and how he set up his own production company. He also talks about how he made his short films, how he worked with his teams to get them. He also talks about dodgy producers, why he made an Indiegogo for 20k. He also talks about mental health in filmmaking as well, digital matte painting and what he wants from actors. He also goes into detail about the difference between 2D and 3D effects and, as Dom said, how he got the green knight and worked with director David Lowry. It's a beauty. Uh, me and Dom had a great chat with him, didn't we? We did, yeah. Plenty to chat about. Lots of uh, lots of very interesting... He, he kind of has his own system, um, his own style of VFX that he kind of learnt himself, and then he just got so good at it that people just started using that style for, for their other projects, and uh, he found his way onto some, some pretty massive films uh, in his own roundabout way. So it's, He did. Do your own thing and get good at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, including the films Free Solo, Wendy, Save Yourselves, uh, Breaking Bread, and actually his upcoming film, he's doing Peter Pan and Wendy's doing creature design on that, and also Snake Oil Song, his visual effects on that. He's a machine. He's a legend. It was brilliant fun talking to him, and I really enjoyed it. I am on set right now, literally not right now, because I'm, I'm in a room very quietly, but I am in the middle of doing pickups on Three Day Millionaire, and I've run into a room, and Don very kindly, really late, has said, yeah, all right, I'll record it with you. Uh, I need to get back to set, because... Um, because you're a badger? Because I'm a badger, and so many things <laughs> are happening today. And you can probably hear it in my voice, I'm so tired. Uh, yeah, fun joys of being a producer. Yeah, it's not, it's not all fun in the sunshine, sometimes it's very stressful very demoralising and you just gotta get through it you do it's so tough everything is yeah it's you you've got to deal with it so yeah that's been fun so anyway I'll leave you on that or maybe I'll talk to you about that next week or the week after when I fully recovered because I really need to recover he might not recover (laughs) I might not I might never come back Dom would you take over well maybe I will I'm already doing these solo episodes yeah, so right, big time. If you had your own podcast, what would it be called? Uh, Dom does pods. Dom does pods. The, the Domcast? No, that's, there's no pun there. The Miserable Sodcast? There we go. Yeah. That'll be. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, for now, until that magical day happens, we <laughs> shall get on with this week's episode of the yes. Filmmakers Podcast with Nicholas Ash Bateman, Dom Noir, and myself, Giles Alderson. Sit back, relax. And maybe learn something. Maybe learn something. Enjoy. How's it going? Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you as well. Wanting Mary's pretty special. Uh, it's pretty stunning to watch. It's beautiful. Had you always been interested in VFX world? Was that something that, like from a kid, was that something that interested you into film? Is that your way in? Yeah, I think so. I don't necessarily know if I understood. You know, there, there are those stories of like, basically everyone who is a filmmaker who grew up watching star Wars, like got the, like the, the magazines, you know what I mean? Like those sort of things where people are like, Oh, how do they do this? Yeah. I don't really, I'm, I've been trying to think lately, like if that's how my brain was working at the time, but I was completely enamored and like obsessed by the process of the Lord of the Rings. Oh yes. Yeah. But they, they so fantastically sort of, which I think is different from Star Wars. Star Wars does sort of feel like it is about visual effects technology and the Lord of the Rings sort of felt like this whole thing, you know, of like all of these departments and everyone's firing at full cylinders. And I think that was like, I grew up doing theater too, which is like a huge part of all of this. So I think I, there was a circus quality to that of like, look, look, it's a big theater production um, that I really liked. Mm. And then may moving forward, it, it, it obviously became possible. Well, it became clear that like there were things I wanted to do that were visual effects, but like, I really came to it in a way that is bizarre. That sounds like comical because like we made, you know, I dropped out of college. I made this movie called the circus animals, which was like a short, this is like 2010. And so I moved to New York and I met someone across the hall who's David Ross, who filmed, who's the cinematographer of Wanted mm-hmm. Mayor and kind of my, my, my creative partner. We made this mo- movie together. And in the, in the end, you know, in the process of editing it, which took forever, like we didn't know anyone made movies. So we were pulling, like, I taught <laughs> one of my best friends how to record audio, which I watched a YouTube tutorial for, mm-hmm. yeah. which at the time was, you know, yeah, like 2010, it was like there was, you know, now I could be like, what is, you could literally find a YouTube tutorial for anything. It's like almost comical, but it was sort of like, you know, there was, there was choice. It was like B and H had YouTube tutorials that you would, how to record sound. And, um, the most of the stuff is I would, this is another, a tangent within a tangent is their B and H headquarters in New York. I, they have these fantastic people who work there who I just recently read that they now do video chats. Right. Have you seen this? No. Um, so all the people that work at BNH who, you know, sell all this photo video equipment out of their headquarters in New York, the, all the people who work there are like amazing. They know everything about the equipment. Mm. So I would go as like a form of film school basically and be like, I want to buy a, I'm going to make a movie on like a seven D mm-hmm. and they'd be like, well, here's a cat, here's a T2I. And this is what this does. And then I'd be like, you know, I need to record Zoom or like audio. And they'd be like, there's a Zoom recorder and this just came out. And they would like show me how to use it. Wow. And I would like write notes down mm-hmm. and like go home and be like, okay, this is the how the guy at BH told me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which now I would just watch a YouTube tutorial. But anyway, 
Um, yeah, and B&H, because so we, we don't have that in the UK. But that It's not is, the cigarette oh, brand. Really? No, and it's, it's not, not like Ikea. Oh, is there a cigarette? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, <I think> so. <laughs> in Ikea, they know how to fix everything. <laughs> this doesn't work. I can't just do that, mate. Just <laughs> It's laid out very much like Ikea. It's like a mega <laughs> center. Yeah. Right, for they don't have meatballs, sadly. <laughs> sadly, but, uh, what a shame. They could make a fortune. Um, yeah. <laughs> for meatballs for crew would be uh, amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, that's fascinating because, like you say, now they've, like you say, they've just got all that stuff on YouTube. So anyone out there yeah. listening who does want to know that and how to connect your 7D to a Zoom recorder, because sometimes some of them don't connect, by the way, and some of those microphones yeah, yeah. you buy do not work when you plug them in yeah. on the top because they've got two pins or three. It was kind of quite a revolutionary time, really. Like, I mean, it was it was kind of at the end of my university when the 7D sort of came in, and they're like, "Oh, there's there's stills photography, and then you record the sound right. separately." But it is a completely different process. I mean. Yeah. You obviously you have to sort of learn some settings on on video camera but a lot of the time at uni like it's kind of there's a lot of automatic settings you can do sometimes the mic's just you know plugged in when you when you hire it there's there's a lot less to learn it's kind of like throwing yourself in the deep end but yeah. in a way you sort of learn these photography things that can be really useful. My cinematographer David grew up developing his own film shooting mm. film it was like no knowing a real magician in my mind i was like i have no idea how any of this works and he's over here looking at the 7d like it's like he, you know he knows what he's doing <laughs> so um and then the the but the visual effects in that process happened literally at the end of it and there was like a genuine feeling of us looking at the movie i kept saying there were a couple shots at the end and I kept saying, like, wouldn't it be fantastic if you could widen these shots? And we were like, what does that even mean? And we're like, if we were to widen this shot, we would have to extend the frame somehow. How does one do that? Mm. And then it was like, that appears to be a visual effect. Right. And then I was like, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm really obsessed somewhat by, um, you know, kind of like golden age films and, and mm. Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind and sort of the great artifice of these great matte paintings and studio mm. films. And it felt like, it was like, what if it was that, you know, like, what if we did that? And I met at the time who was the production designer and production designer, the wanting mayor and everything else, Cassandra Baker. And she was a painter. And I was like, Cassandra, you're a painter whose work I am in love with. I have this movie that I made and we're trying to take shots in the movie and make them wider. <laughs> she's like what are you talking about like i believe it would require someone to paint the rest of the frame out she was like oh okay well one of them was somebody in an alley and i was like so i think you got to paint an alley now what's funny about this is cassandra was an abstract painter right okay i didn't pro i didn't process this i was like she's gonna give me like a spartacus matte painting you know <laughs> <laughs> And so Cassandra is like sending me literally like abstract bricks. And I'm like, okay, this is further complicating. Like, you know, but I wasn't like, I wasn't directly like, this is not what I want. I was like, okay. Hallucination subplot. Yeah. yeah I was like, abstract walls, mm -hmm. frame. That's not the frame I want. How do we do this? So then it was like, oh, I must download a program called Photoshop. So I literally downloaded Photoshop and I was like, I think I can overlay her abstract paintings mm -hmm. on top of photos of brick walls and then we have what is i would didn't know the phrase would be you know a mat and then i was like okay so but my shot is handheld and this is it seems <laughs> long-winded but it literally it took six months seven months to do three of these shots 
to just figure out what they were. Cool. And uh, the shots were handheld. And so in After Effects, 2D tracker, yep. I had to download an After Effects, learn how to use After Effects. And uh, that was that. those are my first three visual effects shots. I think wow. there's wound up being maybe six in the movie. But I was so obsessed by them because mm -hmm. they were strange. And people looked at them and they were like, what? is this <laughs> what are you doing yeah and i was like i don't quite know i think it's going to win but it's handheld i don't know <laughs> whatever that was so i sent that movie to um a bunch of filmmakers i sent it to like ben zeitlin and the guys who made a movie called bellflower years ago mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. just independent low budget filmmakers and was like this is what i'm trying you know the movie got into zero film festivals and right. i like it felt like it was game over uh, there was nothing really to do except like move back into my, with my parents. And then oh. when my parents were like, get the fuck out of here <laughs> like, go back to college, I was like, well, I have a van, so I'm going to drive this band around until I figure out what to do. So I was in my van and someone who saw the circus animals, this movie yeah. was like, we need like behind the scenes photographers. If you want to come out to LA, mm -hmm. and that's basically what started it and at the time wow. i was writing a version of the wanting there wow back then and people knew i had the weird movie with the matte paintings that weren't matte paintings <laughs> they were like i don't know but great you're you'll be on c camera but we appreciate you being here <laughs> yeah literally you know that that's actually not even true the first camera job i had on what the first movie i was out there with there was five cameras. So you were e-camera. <laughs> you were six. <laughs> I didn't even get e-camera because somebody hacked the 5D. Do you remember when the, the oh, yeah, 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 the 5D? Yeah. yeah. And somebody was like, we don't know if this is going to get footage, but you could just get your own shots. <laughs> they literally just gave me a camera that they didn't know if it would work. And they were like, you can just see what you stay get out, stay out of everyone else's shot please <laughs> yeah yeah and i literally and i was like this is my this is it, this is it i've made it <laughs> yeah but that movie this is a whole tangent but that movie is like an 80 was an 80s comic book fight movie oh wow i spent like five years working on this movie wow. which is a, a different story okay. but there was like david arquette and pastel huerta and like Don Fry yeah. and all these like old UFC fighters and sort of just incredible larger than life characters. So they, the, the sixth camera that's this big, they'd be like, Hmm, we got a stun. Why don't we put that kid in there with the camera? <laughs> so <laughs> like I wound up just sort of being in a, uh, just an assembly of the most dangerous places you could probably be on a set. Amazing. And like, I don't know if this is going to get any footage, but you know, yeah yeah but you learned you survived and, and that was it <laughs> and you, met, you met new people yeah. and you were on I set did. creating shit and just being part mm. of the team and even if yeah. you were the sick man in the by the side <laughs> team <laughs> you were getting stuff and i think that's you know that's fucking great because it's so hard to get in there it's so hard to come to new york yeah, yeah. right how the fuck are you supposed to start we take anything when we start and you should you know to an extent yeah and it, it doesn't matter who you meet like it could be any crew position you could be doing something that you don't want to do when you're when you're starting out like you just don't know who you're going to meet that might have another project uh and then and then you'll be doing exactly what you want to do on the next thing and you know it came in the most random way so you've got to it's about being open isn't it yeah i mean i don't think i ever made a resume i realized this recently somebody mm. said something about it, like did you sing your resume or I was like, what's a resume? I was like, I don't think I've made a resume. I probably made a fake resume at a certain point to be like, I don't know. Somebody said they got it, you know, but it just constantly was like, I don't know. I got very lucky. I literally 
to move to New York with $500 and met one person who wanted to make movies who also only knew one other person who wanted to make movies. And then right. that's enough. You know what I mean? To, but, uh, but the real goal for me always was like, how do you get around um, these people? You know, and mm. it's funny because at the time they, I was like, these are genuine adults and they have life figured out and they're just at the top of the game. But in retrospect, they were sort of my age or younger now and kind of being like, oh my God, we're, mm. you know, fighting for survival every day. Mm. Isn't but, it funny but I was, mm. how yeah. we look at that, how we look at other people we think are ahead of us and we go, God, that looks so far away and unattainable. Yeah. And then we get there and then we look back and we look at those people and thought, God, no, they were actually really struggling and they were just yeah. clinging on to survive. Yeah. And, that, and I think that's a good thing for us now to even look further ahead. And for those who, look, who, who are starting out and looking up, it's, it's, it's doable. It's fine. Don't think it's too far away and out of your reach. You can get there and you can do it. And these people aren't gods. They're just people trying to get by yeah. and make yeah. movies and try and make anything. And there's something to, to either the empathy or anxiety of it, which is that like, nobody literally no one is like i'm great things are great for me right now i'm like totally relaxed like everyone <laughs> yeah. is like i don't know i made a move i made this move like i don't say anyone care but you know yeah but there you're there with the sixth camera underneath a horse it's coming to <laughs> land on your head yeah. yeah happy days i'm totally relaxed <laughs> i'm gonna come Camaro with David Arquette like, exactly. just driving 90 miles an hour. He's like, what is this fucking kid doing in the back with this still camera pointing at me? It was very sweet, by the way. It's very sweet. That sounds brilliant fun. And from there, did you then carry it? You obviously then carried on learning the VFX side of things and, you know, After Effects and trying to get your head around that even more and, and making more of your own shorts because you made a lot, you know? Yeah. November, yeah, I, Salvatore, August, yeah, the fires howling. Those, a lot of those are ones I were just groups of those people. And they were like, we need an editor. We need this. And, mm. um, the fires howling is one I actually directed, which is so funny. I have not <laughs> talked about this at all. This is a, this is a really great story in a way, but the visual effects stuff came up because, you know, there were, as you could already tell five other people edit on camera <laughs> and like five other people editing and <laughs> six other people who could do this. And well, there was not anyone else who could do visual effects. And with my six visual effects shots, I was like, you know what? I can do visual effects, which I had literally no concept of how to do any of this stuff. Nice. Um, but there was a pile of hard drives and uh, there were movies that had like very loose flux release dates as in no release dates essentially. And, um, and that allowed like me with, you know, someone who was like very comfortable either living in a van or on people's couches, which is what I did for the better part of a decade, just to, just to do that setup, you know, with the computer. Um, so I worked on basically other people's doing visual effects on other people's movies, not good visual effects, like a bunch of very terrible visual effects that I like wake <laughs> up in the middle and I'd be like, I can't believe I gave this to someone. And it was like, yeah, this is done. But, but, but were they, were they happy at the time? <laughs> I think so. I think it was like, but the, I can tell you they were always strange visual effects, which yeah. is an interesting thing. Mm. You know, they, none of them were like, this is how they're supposed to be done. And it looks good. It, Cause which is how I kind of have arrived at the way I do stuff is that like I, the idea of realism was never even, it, I never even entertained the thought. Right. Mm. So it wasn't even like all the stuff that I was doing was like an art project. 
So I was like, oh, this is, I'm just making something that looks pretty. And I'm trying to figure out a little bit of, uh, that I understand about the technology. How do I do this to make something pretty? Mm. Now this became a problem when someone was like, Hey, can you do one visual effect shot? That is just like what they consider to be invisible visual effects. I'd be like, yeah, I got an idea how to do that. I can make the sky purple in a really interesting way. (laughs) (laughs) And if the sky's purple, you won't even see the person anyway. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so the fire howling <laughs> is funny, like, it, and literally what you just said is accurate. I'd be like, everything's always very dark. And uh, there's a bunch of things that are just like completely messing up the image as much as I can. But uh, the fire howling came about as another funny instance where it was like, it felt like I had been doing stuff and visual effects and people were like, oh, we're like excited about Nick. And uh, he wants to make these weird sort of fantasy-esque movies. And I acted in a movie that is really sort of the only movie I've ever seen aside from maybe the green Knight now, but like the only real movie I've been a part of that felt like I was like, went to a film festival for, and was like, people were seeing it and then like enjoying it at a level that I was trying to make my own movies at. was the same year. Short term 12 came uh-huh, out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I met Lakeith Stanfield because he at the time was like, I'm an actor in this movie short term 12. And you know, he's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. And I was living on uh, my dear friend Clayton Ledoux's couch in Studio City, and yeah. Lakeith was coming into LA to try to get an agent and manager and wow. doing auditions. Yeah. And I was like, and and Clayton was like, we need to make a short. I need footage. I need like audition footage. And I was like, amazing. I need to make a short. And I was like, we need another actor. I was like, Lakeith, let's get Lakeith in here. That's amazing. Wow. Which is like, you know what I mean? Unbelievable to think now. And. Uh, so we made this thing that was a really interesting, really, really wrong direction, <laughs> which is maybe like, okay, there's a, the six map paintings of, of the, my, the, the circus animals that we made in 2010, this is now like five years later or something. It's like, what if we did that, but we made it like really dark and scary. And, and anyway, it just like is all of the worst, all of the opposite choices that you would make if you were trying to make good choices. <laughs> aside from Lakeith. So, so rebrand cult classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, aside from Lakeith and Clayton and all and um, Bailey Borders and, and Dakota Goldor, like the actors who were in it were all fantastic. It just was everything I did was just un- unintelligible and strange. But it, it was an incredible learning experience because it was like too far to me in the direction of, I don't even know how to describe it, but it wasn't really like at, you know, when I like go to bed and sleep and like have five core thoughts about like my dreams and subconscious and the things that mm-hmm. bother me, it was about none of that. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just never a good place to be if you're making something. And to sure. be very honest with you, there was like people who were like, Oh, we're like very excited about Nick and, you know, we're going to try to submit this to Sundance. People who had been to Sundance were like, we're going to, and I like really thought I was making the thing, you know, and it just was not good. Right. Did you know that? Did you know at the time that I'm mean, looking back, it's easier to say. I did. I mean, it right, was okay. like immediate, it was immediately sort of like, right. Yeah. This isn't, this is not the good. Level it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I mean this genuinely, I'm not like literally only because of me, like David shot it. Mm-hmm. Cassandra was the production designer, the, it, like Lakeith Stanfield, Clayton Ledoux, like fantastic actors. It's entirely me making all of the wrong choices. Um, and um, I did the same thing. I submitted it for a while and kind of did like different cuts of it over about a year or something. Mm-hmm. Still never got into a single film festival. Yeah. 
So I kept working on these other people's movies and kind of, this is like when it got the darkest, I think of me being like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do this again. And how does, how is this ever going to happen? And uh, yeah. And somehow I, I guess I don't even know, but a few years after that, I had like had my fill in a bunch of ways of working for other people for no money and was like, I think you're doing this wrong. Really? You know, I kind of was like, I don't like the way you're doing this in terms of the responsibility of getting people to work for no money on movies. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, you got to take care of people if you're going to do that and you have to like work really hard. And I didn't really feel like that was happening. And I felt like I was being taken advantage of, to be honest. And that's never a good thing. And it is something in our industry. It does happen a lot. And like you say, it's fine if they look after you and make you feel wanted and important and part of that team that, hey, we're trying to do something good together here. But if you're not and you feel like this is icky or you're being pushed out or you don't feel part of it then you're working your ass off for someone else technically yeah and you've probably not got even any showreel from this then right yeah you're totally right to go strange i'm not doing this anymore right how did you get out of that how did you stop that ball rolling because it's difficult when you're in that you just someone else then ask you and someone else of course because you're doing it for nothing and suddenly your name gets around as the guy will do it for nothing but oh that was my life yeah people would call and then and then i would just snap at people yeah like, right. dude what the hell's wrong with you i just called <laughs> we're friends i just wanted you to make a movie yeah. poster i'm like i'm not making movie posters anymore i want to make, make a movie <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. Like, they're like all right man like chill it's not a bad well, all right i hope you yeah. make a movie but um <laughs> so what what did you do what can you can you remember was there a specific moment apart from shouting pay at me <laughs> yeah just went pay me big sign work for pay only man i had so many just insane jobs during this period of time uh yeah. but people i was working with i thought that they were going to be an instrumental part of me making my movie Uh, i see okay and there were sort of conversations around like we can help you do that through these people and these companies and i know so and so and he wants to make movies and how exciting that would be Mm -hmm. and so i made i spent about nine months maybe Mm -hmm. on the few off hours i mean i'd be working on the these movies sort of like literally 12 13 hours a day and then a couple hours at night i would wow. you know work on on the wanting mayor and i would be making these concept designs mm-hmm. and my hope and intention was that these concept designs were going to be given to these people and uh it just sort of kept delaying and didn't mm-hmm. happen and didn't happen and then at a certain point i was like this is never going to happen these are never going anywhere and uh none of these people know i even exist i'm sort of just the guy yeah. in the Back in gun. the back room. Yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. the thing that you get to these situations where you're you want it so much for it to happen and for this break that when someone tells you that they can do it, it's very easy to get you know hooked mm-hmm. in on it and and think yeah yeah sure okay yeah okay that fair enough that excuse or all right maybe if I just do this then it will happen right. and and if you know if you string a couple of those those people together you you've suddenly wasted like years of your life and, and you right. it, it's it's such a hard decision to to really sort of be honest with yourself in the situation like okay is this person actually going to help or you know are they capable of helping or is it yeah. just to sort of benefit them yeah so once i realized that and I just, I was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like this is beyond, beyond right. unreal. I mean, yeah. And so I used that material and I made an Indiegogo and I put the Indiegogo out and Indiegogo raised $20,000 wow. and two important things happened. One of them was the producer who <laughs> was a producer on the movie that I've been working on for years. Right. Never talked to once. Actually, I talked to him before we started filming because I was a behind <laughs> the scenes photographer and he was like, here's what I want to get. 
interns are behind the scenes kid. And I was like, all right, great. Let's take notes. So I talked to, so he calls me again, like four <laughs> years later to be like, Nikki, baby, like uh, you working on this movie for years. You, were, you know, you want to do a way to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nikki, baby. You know, we all went, oh, you never tell me you got this movie that you want to make with that looks like this. Why, why don't you call me? And I'm like, I don't, dude, I don't know who you are. <laughs> um, and he was like, well, just send me the script. And like, we don't need to do this Indiegogo thing. Like, uh, the Indiegogo is great for press, but like, you know, I really want to make this movie with you. I sent him the script. He's like, I love the scripts. And he's like, we're going to do this. We're going to make, you know, a version of this movie. I'm going to hire you to make the movie. We're going to option the script. And, you know, it's going to be at least $2 million budget. And wow. He's throwing all these famous people names at me that. and everything. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, you know, I literally have like $80, you know, and I'm and like trying to figure out how to make this movie. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God. And he's like telling me it's all going to happen. Basically when he finally actually sends the contract, it's the, it's the option, the script. And he would, mm-hmm. it, the option he has, I forgot the specifics, but he would have the option for years after right. or after a year, the rights like revert back to him. And he basically is the person who has, you know, he's the person who's financing the movie. So if he doesn't finance the movie, he could just sit on it for two years and then own the script. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. So wrong. Yeah. No, 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 no. Obviously he's buying the script and then he's hiring me to direct it. And so he's hiring I wrote him. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I wrote him this letter an email that was like at the time I was like, you know, this this is the email the defining email of my life. I was like, everything in my world is like kind of connected. Like it's all one sort of big fictional place. So like I can't really sell you this. Cause he bought he basically he kept referencing Jason Blum, which is a right. great reference. I've been mm-hmm. like sure, yeah, drop that name in. <laughs> yeah. Like this is how this works. Like I'm gonna put a bunch of money into you making a movie and of course I'm gonna own the movie. But then you get to do whatever you want if the movie's good. And I was hmm. like, I get that. That's a great model. Yeah, and like, sure. amazing. But like, I'm not, but are you, <laughs> I, if I, if I had a bank heist movie, this would be perfect to be like, you know, like, or like a one-off sort of thing that I'm like, this works as a perfect little thing that I don't ever need to come back to. And uh, I didn't, I was like, I don't literally, I don't have any idea that really fits this model. So I was like, yeah, even if we could maybe 50, 50, like on this, like I, it would it would mean the world to me. And he sort of was like, instant change where he basically was like, you know, you're going to make it really hard for yourself. You ever want to try to make movies again, but good luck. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then you just, you know, you know everything you need to know about him by that reaction. Yeah. 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 It's so strange why people do that. I don't, it, it, it bothers me. And obviously if they put all the money in, that's part of the contract that they, it, the name becomes under their banner, but you're also right. a part owner of it, but they own it, right? That's yeah. totally fine. But it's just yeah. the bullshit that comes, well, okay, if you, you're going to own it, the money has to be in the account. You can't right. own right. it and not. This is an yeah. option. The good thing is that this gave me an ability. Take the $20,000 from Indiegogo, go back to Northern New Jersey where David was and all of his friends and network were were and say like i'm not making this up like i've been around people who make movies and here's the guy who makes movies and he thought this was exciting enough to try to just completely screw me over it (laughs) and then people were like oh that's actually like a pretty good pitch and so that is how we made the movie is like raising one thousand two thousand three thousand dollar little chunks from like small business owners in new jersey but all of it was the first third of the movie the section of the movie that I'm in, we shot first with like six people with $30,000. Right. Okay. And then we took a year to 
be like, okay, how do we put the rest of this together and try to raise more money and bring more people in? And how amazing! So when you were when you were kind of talking to these business owners, was it like we'll we'll offer you a bit of marketing or we'll help promote your business, or was it more like just invest in this because we it might do something? No, they they were just like it was that, and they were there were three things. One of them is which I still believe like the sense that the movies are all tied together Hmm. is like a really good bit. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, if I ever get to make a movie on like a really large scale, like in some way an audience would be like, Oh yeah, these are, this is like a series of movies. And uh, so that's one, that's a good investment. The second one, it was the visual aspect of like, we think we can make something that looks way more expensive than it is. And then that we just use a basic structure of 50% owned by the investors, 50% owned by the production. I gave all of the production, most of the production ownership away to people who worked on the movie because I couldn't pay them. And then, you know, 120% goes back to the investors. And at, at a certain point, if, if we reach that, this golden <laughs> afterlife, <laughs> you know, the rest of the money goes to everybody else. But they were, they, I mean, they were so genuinely just like, this guy's making a movie. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm so excited about it. Yeah, yeah I'm making a movie. I yeah. love that. Well done. How did you, because one of the hardest bits is doing that, is getting that little chunks here and there and building it up because you need to do all the paperwork. You need to do it properly, right? Yeah. And it's really difficult for creators to sit down and go, shit, I need my business head on here. Because yeah. I've done it now a few times and that first time was like, Jesus Christ, this is insane. Once you've done it, you yeah. go, oh, okay, I get it now right and technically you're just saying exactly what you said that's what it says on the bit of paper but Mm -hmm. i went through lawyers and lawyers cost a fortune and it can be a bit of a nightmare how did you find that process and what did you learn from it that you'll take going forward if you have to ask for money again i mean it's something that was still i like still it's a motif now it's a light (laughs) motif in my nightmares really (laughs) something normal will be happening somebody will be like wait a second where's my contract and then i'll be like Like, shit it's true yeah But you know, I had to, it's like Google, like, how do you start an LLC? That's like the first Mm -hmm. step of it. You Google, how do you start an LLC? And you make an LLC and you get an EIN number and then, you know, like just discovering this stuff as, as you go along. And I didn't use any like lawyers or anything like that. I literally got contracts that were off the internet. (laughs) Yeah. But totally, yeah. Got to take those templates. <laughs> yeah, take those templates. Just be careful sometimes, everyone. <laughs> I did do one thing, which I, I think I've talked about before, but it is actually the only reason that the movie happened. It's the most right. important part of the pitch was that I came up with, and it was only because I had heard someone else say this on one of these other movies I was working on, is that they had a budget cap that they couldn't raise more than a certain number. And they were always like, oh, this budget cap is ruining our lives because otherwise we would just keep raising money for years which yep. is you know, absolutely what they would have done had the budget cap not existed. And so I was like, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell everyone this. I'm going to tell all these New Jersey guys this and be like, there's this thing called a budget cap and they don't want you to have it, but I want you to have it. <laughs> because like what I'm telling you is I'm not going to, you're not going to give me $5,000 and then somebody, and then somebody's, going to dilute the investment to a point where it's like meaningless Worth nothing. which yes. is which is i was like if they believed my pitch they would then say which they are all incredibly smart they would all then say so what makes you what makes me think you're not going to make half of this movie 
go back to these people in LA and like cut a better deal. And then I'm going to just own nothing. I said, I couldn't raise more than $175,000, which is, I was like, I don't even, there's no world in which I'm ever going to raise $175,000. <laughs> so like, sure. Let's make it $175,000. Yeah. And um, we raised it up to an exactly $175,000. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. But, well you know, I mean, I literally spent 10 years trying to get someone to give me like $2,000 to mm. make sure it couldn't do it. And, and so like, whenever I say that we had $175,000, it's I, A, start sweating. I, B, am like, <laughs> if I'm listening to this and I'm 18, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, who's going to find $175,000? And it really is like a process of like multiplying. Like if somebody gave me $30,000 at the end, that is like 10% as hard as someone giving me $1,000 at the mm. front end. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it really, it is like a real confirmation bias thing. That, that's such a genius way to approach it as well because usually when people approach investors it's like we need something from you we haven't got enough and you're actually yeah. approaching it psychologically from the other way which is basically like you know you'll be lucky to get in because you can we can only put in this much money so right. it's actually it's actually yeah. very clever <laughs> like yeah. you know yeah. I, can, I can really see how that would have worked in your advantage yeah i'd be able to say like if you put this much in you're going to own no less than 2.4% of the movie. Yeah. And that, just to be able to say that was like, right, cool. Yeah. Makes people go, oh, okay. Oh, what? And so I get that back first before you get anything. Great, great. Yeah. And they see your passion for it and they see what you've done in the concepts you've done and go and buy into it. Where did you find most of them? Like, would one lead to another, one investor lead to another? Or were you literally knocking on doors? No, most of it was through David who produced it. And he knew a bunch of, you know, small business owners who were sort of in their 20s or early 30s who then knew people that they work with. And then like at a certain point, you know, once we got over this hump of like Mm -hmm. $45,000, $50,000, then it was like the network was big enough and nobody wants to invest alone. So people just start bringing their friends in Mm. and like, like the the ones that I have nightmares about, or it's like, we're about to shoot and I need $15,000 in like three days. Otherwise, like I can't buy food for everyone. And like somebody like texts me, my buddy, Tom is coming by. He's in for 5,000. And I'm like taking it. And then I'm like, did we get a, what is, who is this? You know, like in a year later, I'm like, who was that person? Do I have his information? Which I do. But, uh, but, but yeah, you're right. Suddenly the, they're the nightmares you wake up and go, did I send all the paperwork? Oh my God. Have I, have I just overlooked them? Are they ki- it's ki- cursing me? Yeah. <laughs> it's just an act of sheer willpower, isn't it really? Yeah. And it becomes a collective sheer willpower because everyone gets invested in the idea that this is happening past a certain point. And then it just, it just literally has to happen and everyone mm-hmm. believes it. And then it, m- miracles happen like, like your buddy, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's no version of the movie that would have ever happened unless I was like, we're doing this at this point and I'm wagering my life on it and mm-hmm. uh, I don't have the ability to do it. But like once you sit, it's all about setting a date. You know what I mean? Like I, we made the movie on the East Coast. And so like I had to pack up my mm-hmm. Jetta at the time and drive to the East Coast. and was like, we're driving to make this movie and like we didn't have the money to make the movie. But at that point, you got to make the movie. So if you build it, they will come. Absolutely, yeah. Don. Yeah. I love that. And you said you also shot in sections as well. So you shot in, mm-hmm. so you do, you spent maybe 30 grand on the first bit of it. So now you've got mm-hmm. something to show as well. So you're editing and cleverly you're working out whether you meant to do it or not. Now you've right. got a chance to go, okay, well, what do I need to tell the story better when I come back to reshoot this? What do yeah. I need? Actually, that gr- bit of green screen didn't work or that bit of uh, prop didn't work as well, right? So you've got, 
got yeah. that whole time to develop your story even more. And I definitely wouldn't have, I don't, I think I had reached the critical mass of fundraising at around like $40,000. I don't think anyone would have given me any more money right. unless I was like, I have something to show you and I'm not making this up. Like mm -hmm. that, the, my goodwill was maybe worth 40 grand at that point. And they were like, so, so to be able to say like, this is happening all these people are in it. Look at the stuff I'm doing. But like the other thing that I always say, like when I say the movie took five years to make the first year of it was literally me making the trailer. I did not have the technical ability to finish making a trailer to show oh, an internal trailer to show, to raise the rest of the money on top of $40,000. And I was like, this is, you know, I felt like a, my joke I made before is I felt like Elizabeth Holmes in like the Theranos thing where I was like, I don't even know how to finish this trailer. How am I ever going to finish the movie? You know what I mean? Like it's taken me a year to do 20 visual effect shots that are two seconds each to cut up little teaser. Right. How am I going to do this over the course of a movie? And like, it just keep pushing and like learning and mm. um and you must have been going through like existential crisis in that whole time and doubts oh and like you said you even then said there how am i supposed to do it but yet now yeah. you have and the wanting marriage like it's absolutely gorgeous and stunning and so brilliantly put together but yet like not that long ago you were saying how the fuck am i gonna do this yeah yeah so what how, how did you get over again those those moments of absolute what the fuck how am i doing this how did right. you force your head to go i need to do it what was it apart from this drive within you but was there anything physical you did as well no i mean part of it is i'm lucky that like i am a deeply obsessive person <laughs> and uh like i don't i like my mental health crumbles if i mm -hmm. go a day without making something like i physically have to it's like a function of my behavior i have to wake up and make stuff and uh whether i like it or not so like me having this thing that was like this is all consuming was the only way that it could have like if i was sort of touch and go with it i would have never finished it or never done it mm. it was like you know the office that we made the movie in which is not the warehouse and the behind the scenes it was it was dave's office is the office i lived in for four years so i built a shower in it and lived in there so i basically went from one warehouse in los angeles for someone else's movie to be like oh here's an office it was a beautiful office though <laughs> but like yeah. you know there was nothing else in my life you know uh but but this movie so um and my dog so it was like that was it you just kept going um and at a certain point there is a there there is security in how much you've personally invested in something mm. like mm. And which is the which is the end of the process because there's the beginning of this is all sort of like the thrust of excitement and opportunity and you know like there's there's gold in the hills you know yep. but the end of it is there's no gold in these hills and no one likes this <laughs> it's paid in the hills <laughs> yeah 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 this is a bunch of lead um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. let's tell our audience what the movie is about and we can play the yeah. trailer the wanting mayor is about a fictional city called withran and this city is in a constant heat and once a year there's a ship that comes to trap and transport the wild horses of Withrin to somewhere across the sea. And the story centers around this line of women who live north of the city who have a dream that is a recurring dream that is kind of like a, a family secret between mothers and daughters. And Moira, who is the main character that we are following, wishes to get rid of this dream and to go on this ship uh, with the horses to this other place, sort of like a Casablanca, you know, letters of transit. So she employs uh, 
someone that she has met, a young guy to help her. And it is about this, how this relationship and this dream kind of plays out in their time together. It is amazing. I wanted to talk to you about directing this because this is amazing behind the scenes of this movie that you have. It is 100% worth watching this because you'll be amazed. I, watch, watch the movie first and then watch the behind the scenes. Link to both will be in the show notes. After you watch the movie and you see the behind the scenes, you go, oh, 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 right. They're just in a room. All oh, right. You've shot all that on a, there's not even a green screen. There's not, that's just, <laughs> you're just a wall. There's White a girl wall. walking over yeah. a bit of a table and you, what? Yeah, yeah. And then you produce this absolute beauteous magic uh, within the frame and what you're doing and the storytelling. I, I find that fascinating. How did you, for one, not only get your actors to believe what you wanted them to see in this world, mm. but also convince your crew that this... This is going to look good, guys. This isn't yeah. just a table and a black wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be really good to talk us through your right. thought process and how you managed to, you know, get your whole uh, team involved. Well, it changed in the in the stages, and I was able to kind of play a different part a little bit, literally as well. Like I'm obviously in the first section, I'm acting in it as well, and essentially all the scene, majority of those scenes are Jordan Monahan and I who you know, were intensely close and had known each other for years and were deeply part of like shepherding this movie into existence. So we were a real, a real team. And probably the only person that I could have acted with in those scenes was Jordan. Cause she also was able to say like, one of the stories I like to tell a lot is in the, in the, stair, in the scene with the stairwell where we find each other is like the third day of filming. And uh, I was like really worked up about it and worked up for the scene and was trying to do it the best I could and felt very good about it. And she's like watching from the top of the stairs and she's like, 
just like kind of has a sour look on her face. And I'm like, what, what is wrong with you? And she's like, you're going to do it that way. That's such a horrible thing to hear, isn't it? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And then like, I, we did it again. And so like, you know, so much of that early stage was a real openness and everyone was that way of being like, you want to shoot it like this or do we want to put the light like this or do we want it like it was like a real you know i mean it's only really like six of us you know like so it's it's cassandra who's Mm -hmm. the who was the production designer dave ross zach schaefer who's the gaffer dave and him grew up together and then zach and i did most of the visual effects um jordan you know so like it, it was a very 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 small group um so we all were like, no one was like, I shouldn't say anything. Or like, no one was also like, this is this person's job for this is that this person's job. So that was great because otherwise in any other form of me, like posturing in a way of being like showing up, being like, I'm directing this, it would have been impossible. Like it had to be, but at the same time, like that openness was also like an inverse reflection of the openness that I felt like I left with disdain. So it was like, we are, we can do this. This is hopefully the way to do this with like a lot of care. And um, we didn't know if it was going to work. There's more practical stuff in that first section than the rest of the movie, because I didn't know if it was going to work. And we, New Jersey, Boston, a little bit of Baltimore. And then we rented a van and drove to Nova Scotia and got Airbnb. And that's the house that we're in, in that first third. That's just Airbnb. So that gave us, I was like, I knew if we had like bits of us walking around in a real place of real water, your eye would be like, I guess, I don't know. That's real. So like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving into the next section, it was different because the joke we kept saying is like, we're going to have to get adults here, guys. Like (laughs) there are adults in this movie and adults are going to (laughs) come look at us doing this. And like, we have to be prepared. So the whole rest of the movie we shot in four weeks and we shot like a real movie with a real schedule and real call sheets and food and brought people in. We added a producer named Jeff Walker, who basically was like unit production manager slash producer, just like running the whole show, you know, while, while it was happening, you know, when you bring in actors who are professional actors, like the older Moira and Lawrence are professional actors (laughs) who have been in a lot of things and have very different acting styles. And, you know, I cannot begin to wrap my mind around the feeling of being an actor like them and showing up in a warehouse in New Jersey, which you can only shoot at nighttime because of the sound. So you're in this place of like five, that whole behind the scenes where we're in the warehouse in New Jersey, it's like, it's like 5 a.m. And I'm like squirting them with glycerin and they're like, (laughs) what am I doing here? You know? So like, but they weren't, they really genuinely you know, went for it. And then Edmund, who is the actor in the, in this middle of the movie was one of my oldest friends. And then his scene partners, a woman named Yasmin Keshtar plays Ira on the poster. And she is a painter that Cassandra went to college with. So everyone had a very different style and a very different sort of sense of wooing that was required right. to get them to come stand in front of the blue screen. Yeah. You're like, believe me, this will look good. Believe right. me. Right. And but like you say, you had stuff to show them so they could go, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's it. It's the, it's the visualization, isn't it? You can, you can show them something to, 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 yeah. to give them faith. <laughs> but the theater thing is like so huge because I, that was like the only way that I could understand it and relate it to other people, which is that like, like, for example, like when people are like, you know, it's, it's really hard to stand on a blue screen or it's like, it's a lot easier to be on a real set, which of course it is. But at the same time, like 
no theater actor in the world is like going around being like, you know, it'd be really great if this wasn't in a theater. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, no one's like, you know, I really would like to do the Crucible, but not like on the West End. Like, <laughs> yeah. it would be we'll much easier at the Crucible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I suppose a lot of that comes down to you communicating with them, like what the characters, you know, wants and needs are, and, and what the story is, and right. for them to invest in that rather than in the background. And also the the plate shots, you know, the stuff that was to go behind any of it made up from real footage or was it literally you creating it in the computer so okay so technically there is of all of the digital work in the wanting mirror aside from four shots which are cheating because i did them after really i should have been doing them um (laughs) which is that i did them in the past probably two and a half years but like the real core of 95% 95% of all the visual effects in the morning mirror is 2d. And so this is like really wow. important because it's, there's no 3d environment um, to the wanting mirror, which means there's no 3d lighting. There's no 3d like camera match moves. All of it are 2d matte paintings made in Photoshop brought into after effects and then tilted at angles. That's it. So even like the ground in some instances, yeah, there's no like geometry to the ground. It's a flat plane of a painting of grass in Photoshop that I have overlaid footage of moving grass. And then that just gets like stretched out in After Effects. Wow. So that creates a couple of things. One of them is it was the only thing that was possible because I didn't really know how to do anything in 3D at the time. Mm-hmm. And like Blender in 2017 is not Blender now. Like I wouldn't have <laughs> even sure. been able to do these things in that way. And thirdly, that is so such a strange constricting process, especially on that scale of that many shots, that that's why the movie, I think, looks so cohesively strange and different because it's all with one very, very specific process that like really should not be used to do what I'm doing with it, which is all to say that all of it looks very, you know, painterly because it it is like, they're literally all like digital paintings and I'm just like tracking them to the footage and being like, how do we do this? And literally less because of design. I wasn't like, "Hmm, this is the style that fits the movie. It's no different than the six visual effects shots in like 2010. It was me being like, this is the only way I know how to do this. Yeah. So it's, it's very, there's like three shots in the movie that, still are not tracked properly and still do not look as they should because I, the camera has tilted too far beyond what it could tilt to get away with flat planes. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Technically in your mind, that must be just uh, when you're filming that as well, constantly thinking about that and the effort of then trying to make it work afterwards and being frustrated. You're going, damn, we tilted too far Uh, and going, I'm either going to have to live with it or reshoot. And you know, obviously the indie film. And you didn't reshoot. We didn't do any reshoots, which is a whole other thing. Mm. Um, I think I, I've been thinking about this lately as to why I did not like, certainly there were things that I removed from the movie or that took me year, like a year of headaches that I could have just reshot in theory, but it would have been impossible to get everyone. You know, I just like mm. other movies I've been a part of just did endless, endless, endless reshoots. Yeah. And I, I just despised them. <laughs> and I think <laughs> on a level I was like, I will not reshoot anything. And I sort of have a weird reverence to like the performance of when it happened. Yes. Too much so. Like I kind of, I'm aware I have to get rid of this feeling, but I sort of like, this is what it was, you know? Like I can't, it would be weird to come back and be like, fix your hair up and I'm going to have an insert of you saying a line that works better. I just like couldn't get myself to do it, even though it probably would have been better. But which is to say that all that stuff that was like, 
make or break the effects wise there was no i didn't we never got an alternative right it's fascinating it is fascinating because it's a different headspace to mine and dom's i suppose to how yeah we've made movies and you're making movies in this way but it's still a fantastic way to make movies and really inspiring and interesting Mm. could you just really quickly tell us the difference for those people out there who don't know not me uh the difference between 2d and 3d Giles doesn't know just to clarify would you like to explain dom Oh, Dom doesn't know it? as well. Okay. well I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you my explanation. It's the difference between the, the X and the Y axis and the X, Y and the Z axis. That's a legitimate okay. sort of explanation. That still means nothing but Nicholas to me. can explain it a lot better. Please. Yeah. So um, 2D and 3D means, okay, if you're watching Game of Thrones, the dragons in Game of Thrones are 3D assets. The word really is an asset. The cities are 3D assets. So if the camera is like moving down a street, that street, half of it is going to be digitally extended with an asset that has 3D, that has four sides. So it has a front building, side building, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which means that it's lit also. There are 3D lights and then there are textures, which have to be textured appropriately to be like, how shiny is a brick? as opposed to how shiny is dirt, you know, like the little things like that you have to replicate. Now, currently, because of video games and the advancement of technology and cell phones and all kinds of stuff, there are what's called photo scan assets. So if you have Unreal, mm-hmm. or uh, you can, in almost seconds, you can import 3D assets, which are someone didn't make, but they are generated from photos of real objects. So I could get a telephone pole that looks exactly like a telephone pole because it is taken from a real telephone pole. In 2015, that did not exist. You had somebody's 3D video game version of a telephone pole, which is as good as it could be. You know, some of it could look fantastic. Other stuff is just like, you're never going to get that level of detail that a real telephone pole has. So that now the difference is you need 3D assets if things in the primary in the foreground of your scene you're getting perspective on. Now, if things are in the far background, like if this back wall behind me is it real? Is, it's real. <laughs> um, if, if your camera always stays there, that wall is always flat. So if I know there's never going to be any perspective on that wall, that means I could in Photoshop paint a version of a wall and just put it behind me. There's no 3D assets there involved at all. Like the zoom filters. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, um, you know, so the Wanty Mare is entirely, there are no 3D assets anywhere in the Wanty Mare, which means every angle, I've looked at the angle and a flat painting has been made in Photoshop to fill out that angle. And then it's been just pushed in space to be like, I think that's where it would move. Maybe it's moving too far. It's moving too little, which is an insane way to do that. Those are called digital map paintings, but Mm. no one really uses digital map paintings aside from like one-off giant specific shots, you know, so. I love it. They did bits of it in Blade Runner, didn't they? The sort of the, the, it was new at the time, mm-hmm. even though they built this, and now people don't really use matte painting anymore because they can do everything in 3D by the yeah. sounds of it now in post VFX wise. Is that what you were doing on the Green Knight as well? Because obviously you got to work with David Lowry on the fantastic Green Knight. So the Green Knight is kind of a step between, you know, there's always going to be stuff that you're going to want to do as digital matte paintings that are flat because then you have total freedom to I can add a photo of a 
you know, I can cut a real photo of a telephone pole out and stick it in a flat matte painting as opposed to like making a full 3D telephone pole. You're just very limited by it. When there are instances, it's really great. There also, you can employ it artistically. For example, like the reason why the that initial Lord of the Rings series, certainly mm-hmm. the Fellowship of the Ring looks the way it does is because it has a ton of digital matte paintings in it. Because mm-hmm. similarly, you know, 20 years ago, they were having a hard time they, they didn't have the ability to build all this stuff in 3D. Of course not. Not that much as well. So they yeah. could put somebody in Photoshop and be like, take a couple photos and put those photos together and then draw over it. Mm-hmm. And then this is our thing for the shot. So the Green Knight um, came at a point between, you know, processes for me. So I sort of had been maybe, you know, like the the year before, two years before that, I had been in Blender like every day trying to learn blender which now i've been in blender every day for i don't know four years or something so um and so half of the green knight were stuff that was fully some of the stuff was like the castle shot Mm -hmm. that was like a big thing for me because i could have never dreamed of doing a shot like that that's an entirely 3d (laughs) shot there's no like 2d painting of that Mm -hmm. aside from some of the textures that you wrap around the castle but and then there's tons of shots in the green knight that also are kind of quick and dirty we wanted it to look very strange so we did the painted process and then the father john misty video from this fall is entirely mm-hmm. 3d there's not right. there's no flat assets in at all which is the first time and so now you can understand the difference in 2d is that like there's also no lighting you're mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's a painting so someone's not able to be like move that light Go, yeah. you know so the Father John Misty video, all of it being an actual 3D space, those are actual mm-hmm. 3D sets and they have textures. I was able to give Dave layouts of each of the sets and be like, mm-hmm. here's the camera moves. And Dave would be like, uh, okay, can we put a spotlight here? I'd be like, wow. yeah. And he'd be like, all right, cool. <laughs> can we flag that light off? And I'd be like, I guess so. And then we did that. <laughs> so he was like, okay, cool. I guess I'm lighting the thing. Was that like a real learning curve in terms of the lighting side or, or had you already sort of got experience in lighting to a degree? It's somewhat, I mean, it's kind of been part of the whole process though. You know, I've been all like any of the 3d stuff in the green night, like I was lighting and all of my concept, a lot of my concept designs are built on 3d, you know, under paintings basically. So I'll make it in 3d and light it. And then draw over it, which is how most matte paintings even come into existence now anyway. Uh, mm. But um, in the on the music video, working with Dave was really eye-opening because it was the first time actually we've really had, we've worked that closely like in a 3D space together. And of course, he came and did a bunch of stuff that I would have never thought of. And I was like, wow, I've never even used this setting of this light. And it's the first one. He's like, can we get the light to do this? And I'd be like, oh, that's, and it looks so much better. <laughs> so, you know, so uh, really exciting. I mean, I yeah, think that's probably totally. the future. To work with David Lowry as well, as you were coming at that time, you're trying to, I imagine you were making The Wanting Mare or it was around that time where you were hopefully wrapping it up. Yeah. Uh, and then The Green Knight sort of came your way. And this is, you know, huge huge movie how did it come your way how did you manage to get it what did you do anything you know did you just show your work it's always interesting to know how people get those jobs and i know yeah. you obviously worked on loads of other films uh you know free solo top side etc etc but um be really interesting the only one that was before that really that was like pro- like a proper was like free solo and the stuff i did on free solo was like pretty minor 
I think save yourselves. The The post producer for Free Solo is this amazing woman named Keaton Mayakara. And I talked to her yesterday and we had talked in a couple of years and we're trying to work on something again together. And I was like, you know, you're the first person who actually like gave me like a, a job basically like for wow. a studio doing visual effects. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, you, like no one had actually been like, and I told her, I was like, and I didn't even know you never even told me what it was. And I just thought you were sending me like someone's GoPro footage of them climbing. <laughs> no and I was way. like, what is this psychopath doing? And I'm a terrified <laughs> yeah. of heights. And she, and I remember her telling me, Hey, you like, this is like very private. Like she basically was being like, I'm not sending you an NDA, but in my mind, I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, it's like, what do you mean? Like, this is someone's like, <laughs> home footage? <laughs> home footage, you're just climbing. What do you want yeah, me yeah. to do? Yeah. And then she was like, hey, you have to send me an invoice. I was like, what do you mean by that? She's like, an invoice. Like, how much yeah, did this money. cost? And I was like, what do you, well, how much do you want to pay? And she's like, what are you talking about? Send me an invoice. <laughs> I love this conversation. Hope it was on email as well. What do you want to pay? What? Why do you know? What do you want to pay me? Yeah. <laughs> she was like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, who do I make it out to? She's like, National Geographic. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean National Geographic? She's like, yeah. Right. And the price um, has anyway, just gone up. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. I was like, I think I literally charged like $100 for like per shot. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Wow. Like, wow. Well, at the time, it was like, oh, anyway. But, <laughs> take it. but yeah, exactly. But then that led on, I suppose, to the Green Knight in, in some way, right? You, obviously, you said you've still never had a resume. You've still never written up at CV yeah. in English uh, or in England, we call them. Uh, and <laughs> But yet you still got the Green Knight, you know? Yeah. I had just been a, so I had people just knew I was like, I think that sort of the class guy. of independent filmmakers, they were like, he's the guy who's been, because I really have been. He's the hundred dollar like guy. <laughs> yeah, he's the hundred dollar guy. Get him in. <laughs> and it was like a circus act where I was like, right. it was like my bit, you know, it was like, a, it was like, I'm like a, like a cabaret, like dancer with spoons. And I would like sure, r- sure. run around for a couple of years being like, I'm making this wanting mayor movie. And people like, oh, God, the wanting mayor movie. movie. Yeah. The guy's yeah. back yeah. with the green screen Harry Potter movie. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm with like, the no, title, a, no one knows. Yeah. 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 And they're like, what's the title? Oh, your title is oh, The Wanting Mary. Cool. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, but D- David knew about it. And David mm-hmm. is like, um, you know, he watches like a movie or two a day, even if he's like filming a movie. So he, really? he David he's Lowry. Like a, okay. Yeah. He's a mm-hmm. real hardcore movie obsessive. He's seen everything and constantly goes, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, no, I haven't seen that, David. But um, so he sort of knew, I guess, about the movie and knew because I had been talking about it for years and his producer, Toby Hallbrooks, someone had told him about it, I think. And it had just like come up in conversation. And they were like, oh, well, our release date got pushed because of, you know, COVID. They were supposed to be at South by Southwest and they had three shots that Weta didn't finish. One of them was the plant coming right. up right before the yeah. green night comes in. Oh, amazing. Which, yeah. as now you understand, is a fully 3D shot mm. and it requires mm-hmm. animation. And so they call it's Toby was like, called me, which I was like, oh my God, Toby Holbrooks is calling me. And he's like, hey, we're here with the green night. And I'm like, <clears throat> like had seen the trailer already, you yeah, know, and yeah. was like so excited for it. 824 fantasy movie. And I, he was like, you think you could finish this shot? I was like, I, I, Honestly, do not think so, but I will try. Uh, and he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, this is like not what my movie, my movie is like, it's literally the conversation we just had. I was like, my movie is like matte paintings. This is like animating and lighting a plant that's going to be close up. And like, also my movie is like anamorphic and I put grain over it and blurred it. This is an Alexa 65. <laughs> yeah, you can't really hide that, can you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I just start thinking about it. I'm like instantly like, oh my God, this is going to, anyway. 
So I did that shot and it somehow worked out very well. And uh, yeah. David was like, well, you want to try and do more shots because he felt like he didn't really have the time to finish the movie. He, you know, like in a way that to play around with it, he made it very, you know, with great speed. Um, and a 24 saw the couple shots that I did and they were like, well, all right, I guess you can unlock it. But they obviously would not have had the money to go back to Weta and be like, can you redo this? So they sort of were like, well, let's see what he does. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. um, it costs money to open those reels up because they have to resound yeah. design them and all sorts sort of stuff. So, and uh, he just kept going and we just kept adding stuff. And so it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity because it was just myself, him and Presley Impson, who was the assistant editor for like six or seven months. Wow. And he'd be like, you know, in that, I think that visual effects breakdown online has like a quick cut of how the castle shot started because he was like, you know, one of the things is that it wasn't fully like Christmas movie yet mm. because there wasn't a, I, you know, we added snow basically over the whole first third of the movie. And then Daniel, the composer went back and he, you know, David was like, well, I think we can make it really Christmassy. And then Daniel started writing this stuff with like the Christmas bells. And then David was like, what if we had a long shot of like the castle? And then he shot that on his cell phone with the Lego castle. Man. And I was like, dude, whose Lego castle is that? He said, it's my Lego castle. I was like, all right, cool. Sweet, man. <laughs> He's like, I love this Lego castle. I was like, it's a pretty sweet Lego castle. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, what if this was the shot? So that was what he cut in in his wow. timeline. He also <laughs> Lego castle in. Right. He okay. Cut in the Lego castle and like told A24, like, yeah, we're going to put a castle here. And they were like, okay man i guess but uh um i mean the thing about it which i'm always saying is it was like astounding to find someone working at a level that in my experience at the time was beyond anything i had seen mm-hmm. and they were doing it in a sense that felt smaller than anything i had ever worked on mm-hmm. and with like great specific care like i had worked on movies that were like seven hundred thousand dollar movies mm-hmm. where like the directors wouldn't talk to me like, you know, like six months before that, where they'd be like talking to me, giving me notes through someone else. And then I would like, you know, and I'd be like fighting for like, can you give me a credit maybe? And then they'd be like, well, we can't give you that. You know, it's like a, you know, whole different ballpark. And then David shows up and David's like, you know, I'm going to give you a visual effects supervisor credit with, you know, the guy who made Lord of the Rings and you know, <laughs> as you're, you know, not a, above the line, but like as a company. Yeah, and, who's getting first um, billing? Um, <laughs> How much do you appreciate me? From the team that brought you, the fire's howling. <laughs> yeah, just don't let anyone see that. And uh, so he showed up like a real fairy tale prince where he just like sort of was saying, him and Toby. I remember Toby called me one time and Toby said, um, it was the sweetest thing. And I constantly telling Toby about this now. He called me. He's like, Hey man. Um, and Toby's like very anxious. And he's like, I just want to tell you like, uh, you know, we're, I want you to put your bid in for the rest of these shots. And we have another company who's going to also bid on it, but I'm not, we're not calling you because you're going to do it cheaper. Like we want you to do it because we think you're the best person for it. So like, you know, just charge whatever you want to charge and like, we're going to figure it out. And uh, you're, you're the guy's like going to do it. And I was like, no one has ever done that. And then like mm-hmm. after two weeks, maybe of working on the movie, Toby just called me. And I was like, oh my God, Toby Hallbrook's called me. My fiance was like in the other room. She's like, call him back. I'm like, call him back. <laughs> he and didn't I answer like, it. I love it. <laughs> I answering that. Fuck you. And I was like, I'm going to get yelled at or I did something wrong or blah, blah, blah. Right. And he was like, I was like, what? So what's up? He's like, oh, nothing. What's up with you? And I was like, nothing. What's up? <laughs> you could <Toby>. be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm just seeing like, um, how's it going? I was like, you mean like personally? Like, what are we talking about here? And he's like, yeah, just like, 
do you need anything? Like, is it going well for you? Like, you know, how's it been so far? I was like, it's going great. He's like, cool. Well, if you need anything, just let me know. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a why David is so successful and why people love working with him and mm-hmm. why his work is good because he cares about people he works with. And, uh, you know, so it was like nothing more important than that. Yeah, mm. on like a bunch, a bunch of levels. So, and then we worked on Peter Pan, Peter and, Wendy, Pan and Wendy. Still yeah. working on a little bit now, and that's so cool. Huge congratulations! You know what a journey, what fascinating, and then the one to marry is, is just a delight. It's gorgeous to look at. So everyone, do go watch it. Watch it now, and they, like I say, watch the behind the scenes. Like I said, you've given lots, but maybe some advice for someone now who's starting out in VFX or in you know wanting to be a yeah. director. What would you what would you say to someone who's you know eager and excited but just can't maybe get a break? Well, first, I I, I spent so much time reading people's biographies when I was younger, mm-hmm. directors' biographies and actors' biographies, and I I it felt like a riddle to me to say like how do these people do it? And if I read enough of these biographies, I can find a through line and plot the course, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a some of it, you know, you get fun anecdotes out of it, but it's, um, it's funny when your life begins, you're like, Oh, everyone's path is completely different. Mm. Um, no matter how much you try to course correct it, it's, you go where you go. The only advice I think I ever have at this point, especially if you're making stuff with smaller groups for no money and like in oblivion, which is always in a way where my mind is, is that you should have a group of people who uh, you love deeply and take care of them deeply. And also like I always wanted the wanting mayor to be for those couple people involved with it on a, on a deep level to look at it and say like, I did this, you know, like there's, you can gobble up credit so easily and it's really hard not to, but it like any good thing that has happened to me has probably been a result of saying like, Hey, do you want to split this? Or, Hey, do you want to say mm. you're, you're in charge of this? These are the, you know, David Ross, literally like nothing would have happened had I not really deeply been loyal to David. Cause there mm. were times in LA where people were like, I'm a, I'm a DP and I have money. Mm. If you want to make a movie with me yeah, and Dave's yeah. like in New Jersey and we're like talking about the movie and I'm like, that's not right. You know? Um, yeah. and of course in many ways and, Cassandra, who sadly is not with us anymore, which has been a whole deeply challenging process. Um, You know, these are people that, uh, and Aaron Boudreaux, who wrote the music, um, these are people that I've known since I started to try to make things. And they are everything, you know, like you, you, like they're, the movie is about them as much as anything. Like these are the, the people and the things that are around you when you're making things become the work. You know, you can't really like, make something in a setting that's something else and you know like it, it all seeps into itself and i don't know i think you're just as good as the people around you and mm-hmm. uh, treat them well so find find a tribe is the phrase i think people say mm-hmm. yeah i'm a big big believer of that how nice and what a beautiful way to end this so cool thank you so much i mean this has been fascinating really insightful and honest yeah 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 it's so really really cool um do you, are you on socials can people find you on the social media i have an instagram for the wanting mayor which is just the wanting mayor and then i have an instagram for um the visual effects company that's just mayor studios yeah great i'll put links to those in the show notes and it's m-a-e-r-e 
studios. Uh, so yeah, follow and yeah. Uh, say hello uh, after you've watched The Wanting Mare and then give it great reviews everywhere because that's what it's about. Uh, it's not about that at all. It's, I just said that. Don't mean it. <laughs> but it is part of it. It's <laughs> nice. I'm the whole conversation there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> an hour and a half just undone in one, one phrase. <laughs> That's what yeah. it's all about. <laughs> yeah, listen, at the end of the day, it's about social media. <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't care about anything else you've said. Just give it a yeah. go. <laughs> Thank you so much yeah. for your time. Thank you, this Nicholas. Been honestly, great. has been amazing. Oh, you're so welcome. This is just a joy. Let's please keep in touch. Uh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You guys go out there. Uh, and, and do exactly what Nicholas has done here. And you can do it too if you want. You've got a vision and you want to make a film this way in 2D, not 3D. If you want to do it in 3D, <laughs> you can do that too. Uh, and go out there and if you rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Uh, Dom Lenoir, thank you. Thank you, Charles, and thank you, Nicholas. Uh, no, thank me. Thank me, that's great. <laughs> Nicholas, thank, thank you for your time, Nicholas. You've been an absolute star. Really appreciate oh, it. Of course. Thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next Tuesday, as always. Bye-bye.